Hebrews 9, 15 through 18. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. And then Hebrews 10, 8 through 18. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> thank you. I'll just add, <clears throat> add my thank you uh, to the elders and to each of you. I'm looking forward to those letters. It's very kind of you. Uh, I should learn by now that when I give Dan permission for two seconds uh, in the service, uh, that he's going to take more. But that's, <clears throat> that's okay, uh, just so long as we get the attention. I appreciate it. I want to say thank you. And I want to make sure we get our attention back where it needs to be, right? On the Lord. Hey, I do have to uh, just recognize in case, in case some of you uh, haven't heard this week. You know, last week we uh, invited Tommy up here just to pray over him. We've been praying for him for 18 months. And uh, he got just about the best report possible on Tuesday morning that his cancer is in remission. And uh, yeah. So we've been, we've been praying to hear that R word for 18 months. And we heard it on Tuesday. And uh, we're just really grateful. And uh, so his, his process isn't over. He's going through another treatment uh, starting tonight, tomorrow, I guess, or Tuesday morning. And, uh, and so we'll keep praying over their family. Uh, but we are, took a huge leap forward, and we're excited for it. All right, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, the chance we have now to open it up and to hear uh, from you. God, we know that your spirit's alive and well and active, and uh, we are amazed at you, our great shepherd. Uh, who continues to feed us, continues to guide us, uh, continues to um, work in our hearts and in our lives. And so, Lord, we're dependent on you today. Lord, we thank you uh, for the word we just heard uh, as it was read, God, that we think about the sacrifice you made through your son and what, what incredible power that has in our lives. And so we pray, God, that your word would be alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and would pierce us and show us uh, what it looks like to know you and follow you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. 
So I, I have to tell you, some of you probably already know this, but I am one of the people in the world who doesn't do great at the sight of blood. Anybody else a little squeamish? I, I don't, I'm not one of the people who like mentally has a problem with it. Like mentally, I know it's okay for me. Like I have no, no fear of needles. I, I think it's a good thing that people draw my blood and test occasionally. I, I've donated blood before. All those things mentally, like in my mind, I know are fine and normal. And yet, <clears throat> when I see blood, especially my own, I, I just, I don't do great. Um, but it's not just limited to that. The, the, the most famous of my stories uh, where I've struggled with this was uh, when we were pregnant with our first, Lois, the hospital we were delivering at uh, offered these classes. And so we went to him because we didn't know what we were doing. And one of the nights of those classes, the whole theme was like everything that could possibly go wrong at, in labor and delivery, right? Like you're all the worst nightmares. I mean, a terrible, terrible hour of my life or six hours. I don't know how long it was. But anyway, one of the you know, moments of this was this video that was very, we'll say, detailed. And um, I uh, remember that room all of a sudden got really, really small. And I was nervous about uh, losing my dinner in front of all these pregnant ladies. So I made the very um, questionable decision of standing up really fast and running toward the door or like kind of like, you know, and the last thing I remember is uh, reaching for the, there's like a push bar on the door to go out. I'm, the last thing I can picture, I can still picture that teal door. I was like this, about to touch it. That's the last thing I remember. The next thing I remember is my wife, who was, you know, at the time over eight months pregnant, sitting on the floor, holding my head and yelling my name. That's the next thing I remember. <laughs> Apparently, I did get to that door and I did reach that bar, but I reached it by sliding down it. And I still have a, 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 a scar right here on my chin from where I nailed that, that push bar. So that was the most dramatic. Uh, and I'd be okay if that was my only, but there are plenty more uh, stories like that where in moments I just, I just lose it. Now, by the grace of God, uh, He has sustained me in moments when I've needed it. Uh, I, I was a witness. I was in the room when all three of my children were born. So I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, push comes to shove, adrenaline gets going, I can handle it. But in the day-to-day -day things, I do better to just, you know, blood stays inside. You're like, that's the way it should be. And the more I think about that, Maybe that's not so weird. Like blood is supposed to be on the inside. So maybe those of us who feel squirmish around blood, maybe that's right. Like maybe those of you who are comfortable with seeing blood, maybe something's wrong with you instead of something's wrong with me, you know? Like if there's blood, there's something wrong, right? Like, like that's, that's not supposed to be happening. Like that's, that's, that means something is wrong, or at least you're, you know, testing for something wrong. And so uh, when we think about blood, we don't think about it as a, you know, beautiful. It's, it's uncomfortable. It's makes me, I sh, I've already talked about it too much. Unfortunately, I'm going to keep talking about it for a while, but it, it, makes us, it makes us uncomfortable. And so if you come to the Bible, it, it can make us a little uncomfortable to realize, to read the word blood so many times. Like depending on your translation, over 400 times in the Bible, like I think the ESV was 430 times, I think using the original language, 450 times. The Bible talks a lot about blood. Why, why in the world would the Bible talk so much about blood? What's going on with that? Well, throughout the Bible, we know that God, He's the author of life. And because He's the author of life, life itself is sacred. Our life is not just cheap. It's not throwaway. It's not disposable. Our life has meaning and value because God's the author of it. And so when the Bible talks about blood, many times it's equating that to our life. Like uh, in Deuteronomy 12, 23, 
it warns uh, in the old, on the Old Covenant, there were warnings about what you could and couldn't eat as a way of uh, being holy to the Lord. And so it told you not to eat the blood, and this is why. It said, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life with the flesh. So it's saying you can eat the meat, don't eat the blood, because the blood represents the life. And so what the Bible is painting for us is that, that blood is, is intricately connected with life. And so the removal of blood, the shedding of blood, is about the loss of life. Animals were frequent, frequently sacrificed in the Old Testament, and the way that, the way that their, their uh, life was given was that the blood was shed and was sprinkled on the altar. This is an idea that life was lost. It was given. It was sacrificed as the blood was being sprinkled. And so the blood represents life, the shedding of blood representing death. And so the reason why the Bible talks so much about blood is that the Bible talks a lot about life and death. The Bible talks about things that matter most. The Bible talks about what matters for all of eternity. And it talks about what is sacred. And that's why it talks about blood. We as imperfect people uh, are, are, are in this... Uh, we have to figure this out. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't have to do this on our own. The Bible tells us. But we've got to figure out how, how do we as imperfect sinful people live in relationship with a holy God. That's what the whole Bible is about. Really, it's about how we live with a holy God. And so we cannot do that without the sacrifice of life. Hebrews 9.22 in our passage today says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And it's not just, not just um, any blood that forgives sins. Hebrews 10.12 says this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. The only way we can have a relationship with God is because of a very particular blood that was given. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. That's the only way that a life could be given so we could know him. Our passage in Hebrews 9 and 10 talks about why this one sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus, why it mattered so much. So if you, if you are uh, frequent in church, if you're a regular church person, maybe, maybe uh, as I say, phrases like the blood of Christ or Christ's sacrifice on a cross, maybe that, that's normal to you uh, and you're not squeamish around that. Maybe if, if, if you're new to church and I say things like the blood of Jesus, you're kind of like me and, you know, you know blood, ew, you know, Matt Ligon's face right there, that's perfect. Ew, yeah, just not sure about it, right? But maybe for all of us, not, not the squeamishness, but the, the sense of like, this is strange and, and it should make us a little bit uncomfortable. Why, why does blood have to be shed? Let's not, let's not let our, our Christianese, our, our church Bible language, just kind of wash over that phrase as if it, it's normal for that somebody had to die. This is life and death. It matters. We want to figure out why it matters. We want to see why this blood matters so much. Hebrews 9 and 10 talks about this sacrifice, life and death, blood that's shed, and it talks about how powerful it is. So here's, here's what I want you to see today, that by the blood of Jesus, we are saved from start to finish. By the blood of Jesus, we are saved from start to finish. There was one offering to God, one life that was given that makes all the difference in the world today. All the difference in the world because of one sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus. His sacrifice wasn't just the beginning of our salvation. It didn't just 
kind of get us heading in the right direction. It doesn't just swoop in at the end of life and, and make things perfect. It, it is the start to finish. It's the A to the Z of our salvation in the gospel. It's all done by the offering, by the sacrifice, by the blood of Christ. Hebrews' major theme is about how Jesus is better. And we see that especially here as it focuses on the old, the old covenant and the sacrifice that is, makes it possible for us to know God. Hebrews 10, 11 talks about the job of the priest of the Old Testament. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take, take, take away sins. So in the Old Testament, the priest was daily in the temple, daily offering sacrifices, and he's always standing at attention. He's always on the job. He's working. He's still going. But in verse 12, it says this of chapter 10, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It's finished. It is done. The A to Z, the start to finish of salvation, is accomplished on the cross when Christ shed his blood. By the sacrifice, by the blood of Christ, we are saved from beginning to end. I see at least four ways that this passage describes that complete process, kind of a, a, a chronological beginning to end, if you will. And that's what I want, you, want to, you, to show you, how, how this salvation, how this blood, what Christ has done for us, works from start to finish. And some of these, I, I pray, are an encouragement to you. Maybe, maybe you come in today feeling kind of down, kind of beat down, and I pray that some of these are an encouragement to you. Others of these, I pray, are a challenge to you, that, that, that get you up and, and, and motivate you. But all of this, I want you to see the glory of Christ, our Savior, the one who accomplished it all from beginning to end. By the blood of Jesus, we are saved from start to finish. So the first aspect of this salvation is this. He shows us the severity of sin. Christ's blood on the cross shows us the severity of sin. Hebrews 9.22 again says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now, you're in church, and I'm quoting the Bible, so nobody, I think, is standing up and saying, no, 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 I don't believe that. Right? Okay, nobody, nobody threw anything at me when I said that. But, again, don't let Christianese or Bible talk just pass over you. That's a shocking statement to say. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. None? Amen. Like, none? How, how, how is that really possible? Do we, do we really think about that in our day-to-day lives, in the way that we walk with the Lord? Do we really think that our relationships, our, 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 the way we live out in the relationships with other people, when we sin, that the only way to forgive that is the shedding of blood? Like really? What, what, about, what about just, you know, losing your temper a little bit this morning or this week? What about telling a little bit of, a little white lie that, you know, was, was not true, because therefore it breaks the ninth commandment, but, but it was really to help people, you know, in the long run. Is the only way to forgive that shedding blood? Do we, do we really believe that? Like if you leave today and you're in a really big hurry to get to lunch to beat the crowds because your pastor went too long at lunch, right? And you, you get on the interstate going up 385, you got somewhere in Simpsonville you want to go and you you're, get a little lead-footed and the police pull you over. So you have broken the law. Let's say it's your first time and, and of course I would have no idea what the penalty would be for that. But uh, let's just say it's you know somewhere $100 to $200 fine and uh, you get some points, and so your insurance goes up, right? So that's what you have to pay. Like, you, you did something wrong, and here's the penalty. A fine up to, say, 200 bucks, and your insurance goes up. And then it's even, right? Like, you're done. You paid for your penalty. You paid your penalty for your sins. 
do we really need to shed blood for that? It'd be like if we think back to the garden. Think back to Adam and Eve. Think about them taking fruit that they weren't supposed to take. Did they? What's, the, what's really the punishment for that? Well, if their sin had been that all they did was they took some fruit that didn't belong to them that another human gardener had planted. So somebody else planted a tree. Adam and Eve went over and stole fruit out of their tree. If that had been their sin, then how would they make up for that? Well, they would, they would go and apologize. That would be a good start. And then maybe they would try to make it right by, by getting a seed from that tree and they went and planted it somewhere else and they took responsibility to, to water it and, and, and grow a tree. And then they, all the fruit on this tree now belongs to you. So they multiplied it, you know, and they gave it back. Wouldn't that be they, they paid the penalty? Then why in the world does the Bible, Hebrews and all throughout, say that the only way to pay for sins is the shedding of blood? Well, of course, that is not what Adam and Eve's sin was in the garden. They did not just take some fruit from somebody else's tree. No, what they did in the garden was they attempted a coup. They attempted to overthrow the king of all the universe, and try to put themselves in his place. Their sin was not stealing. Their sin was high treason against the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's our sin too. If our sin was just uh, uh, hurting a relationship or, or just hurting a person, then we would make a penalty. We'd make a, a, we'd make a payment and retribution. and we would get, We'd make things right. And we do need to do that. Our sin does hurt people. Oh, does it hurt people. But that's not our ultimate problem. Our ultimate problem is that we have committed high treason against the Most High God, the King over all the universe. It, it, our sin, that the payment that's required for it, it is in, uh, it, it is connected to the thing we sinned against. So, for example, if I got out of here quickly today and I kind of sped through the parking lot and I wasn't paying real attention and I bumped into one of the like five or six Honda Pilots that are all out here. You guys all drive Honda Pilots now? And uh, we used to drive one, you know, so we were one of them. So if I bumped into one of those and I, I smashed your front end pretty good, maybe it's a, I don't know, $5,000, $10,000 repair if I just really got it. But if today out there, I haven't been out there in a while, so I don't know, maybe this is up. Maybe there's a Lamborghini out there today. Maybe there's a Rolls Royce. And I do the same thing, but instead of hitting the pilot, I hit the Rolls Royce. I'm paying a lot more than $10,000, aren't I? Because I hurt something. My action was the same. My action was identical. Spit around the corner, hit somebody when I wasn't looking. Exactly the same. But the thing I sinned against determines how much I've got to pay. When we sin against God, we are sinning against the infinite, perfectly holy being. There is none greater. There is none higher. Our sin is treason against Him because when we sin, we're saying, I know this is how you set the universe up, God. But I've got a better idea. My plan is better than yours. It may seem small. It may seem like it's not that big a deal. But we are thinking in human terms when we think that way. We are sinning against the God of the universe. And you know why, why we know that sin is, is so, so great? Because the blood of Jesus tells us how much it costs to pay for it. The blood of Jesus tells us how much it costs our, this, our sin was so costly that the only way to pay for it is either we die and spend forever separated from God or we believe in and receive by faith the sacrificial offering of the infinite Son of God Himself. 
Those are the only two options. The only way to pay for our sins and for us to be reunited with Christ is that we believe in the perfect Son of God who lived the perfect life and who has been in existence from all eternity and will continue in existence. He's the one who died. He's the one who died. That shows us just how costly our sin really is. The way that the world has set up, that God set up from the beginning is that all of our sins are treason against the Most High God. And so they cost an infinite amount. And only an infinite God could pay for those sins. Death has always been the punishment of sin. Hebrews 9.22 didn't invent that. When it says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. That's been that way from the very beginning. Genesis 2.17, God warned Adam and Eve that death is the penalty for their sin when they took the tree, took, took the fruit from the tree. And Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Over and over again, we see this throughout the Bible. Our infinite God, if we're going to pay for our sin, the only way to do it is through the infinite death, the, the death of the infinite Son of God. That's what it took to pay for it. It was very, very costly. So let me ask you, do, do you believe that about your sin? Do you truly believe in the depth of your sin, in the severity of it, the cost of it? Because it's so easy to live life on a human plane and just think it's not that bad. But compared to our holy God, it is of infinite cost. Infinite cost. But here's the really good news. <laughs> when Jesus died, he paid for all of it. He paid for all of it. That's your second blank. By the blood of Jesus, we're saved from start to finish. So he makes us aware of our sins and he forgives us for all of our sins. His sacrifice tells us how bad it really is, and He provides the full payment for it. Again, this whole, all the way through Hebrews, it's comparing and contrasting how the Old Testament was leading up to and pointing to the New Testament, pointing to the New Covenant, but how what Jesus has done is far, far better. So we read in verse 26, uh, chapter 9, verse 26, He has appeared once for all at the end of all ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. He put it away. Jesus removed Sin, that infinite cost, He paid it so that it's no longer in our account. Sin separate us, separated us from God. And the remarkable thing about grace is that now we get to know the God of the universe. It's paid in full. It is no longer separating us. We can know that high king that we sinned against. We committed treason. And now we get to walk in relationship with Him. We get to know Him. We get to be with him. You and I, we cannot just, just drive up and walk into the Oval Office in Washington today. We don't have that kind of clearance. We, we can't go before the United Nations and just say our peace just because we want to. We, we are not allowed to sit at the table. We don't have a chair with, our, with a plaque in front of it at the Joint Chief of Staffs when all the military people get together and make all their decisions. All the, the CEOs of the, uh, or the executives of the, the biggest companies in the, in the country, at Facebook or Google, Yahoo, you, you and I can't go into those boardrooms and contribute and have our two cents about how their company is being run. We, we are not allowed into the, to the most exclusive yacht clubs or country clubs in the country. But you know where we can go freely? We can go talk to the one who made all those things and is in charge of all those things and in charge of all things, the God of the universe. And the only way we can do that is if our penalty has been paid in full. That's the only way. The whole Bible is about how can a sinful, sinful group of people be with a holy God. And it's only possible because of the blood of Jesus. By the sacrifice of Christ, 
the veil in the temple was torn. The people, people of the Old Testament, and even still, the, the temple was still standing when Hebrews was written, so they had a very visible representation. It was this big and imposing structure that says if you want to get to God, there's all these layers and all these protocols. You, you can't just waltz in there. But when Jesus died, he came out. God, they ripped the veil. The veil was ripped from top to bottom. God did it, and he came to us. We are saved from start to finish, not because of something we did, but because of what Christ did. He came to us, and he paid our debt in full. That forgiveness is, is all the way through our passage today. One passage is at the end of chapter 10, verse 17. It quotes Jeremiah 31, 34 again, and says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. They're gone. They're gone. He will remember them no more. Verse 18 says, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offerings for sin. We don't have to keep paying. You don't have to make another payment today to pay for your sins. Christ paid it in full. It was an infinite cost. That's what the blood tells us. This, you could not have a higher debt against you. And yet Jesus paid it in full. Completely gone. And I love how it says, He will remember their sins no more. You can read, I love how the Bible uses the word remember because it, it's kind of a head scratcher at times. You look through the Old Testament, there'll be prayers that say things like, God, please remember your promises. Now, when we ask God to remember our promises, is it like, you know, that mom's standing at the door Monday morning and says, son, don't forget your lunchbox. Husband, don't forget to go by the grocery store on your way home from, from, from work today. God, don't forget your promises. Like if, if she didn't do her job, God would forget something. Is that what? No, of course, that's not the way the Bible uses the word remember, right? So what does it mean when it talks about remember? When the Bible talks about remember and forget, many times what it's talking about is whether or not, so remember your promises is God, as us praying that God would apply those promises to us today. God, I know your promise that you're never going to leave me or forsake me. So remember that today is a way of saying, I, I, need, I need to feel your presence today. I need to know you're here. I'm, I'm needy. You're good. You're, you're perfect. <laughs> But I'm needy, and I need you to remember and make, make your presence known to me today. Remember your promises. So when it says, forget their sins, remember their sins no more, is it saying that the omniscient God, who knows all things and has always known anything, is, is sudden has a, has, a, has a gap in his memory about, about things? No, of course. Of course he doesn't actually forget. But what he's saying is, please, God, please don't apply my sins to me. Don't make my account still have this negative balance because of all the things I've done wrong. And that's exactly what he promises. I will remember. I will not apply your sins to you. You, you are not uh, the, the, the equivalence of the, the total uh, putting together of all your sins. That is not who you are. You are my child. You are forgiven. You are perfected. You are holy. That is who you are. Not this combination, compilation of all your sins. If, if God did that, we would, we would have no standing before him. But he does not remember our sins. He does not apply our sins to us because of the blood of Jesus. He's paid in full. It is fully washed clean. And if God views your sins that way, you should too. You should too. You, sh you and I don't have to live under the weight of our guilt and shame of all the past things we've ever done wrong. It has been paid for. Now, does that mean, it says, I will remember those sins no more. Does it mean I, I forget they ever happened? No, God didn't forget they happened. He doesn't apply them to you. 
we better not forget our sins happened because then you're going to repeat them. If you walk in that and forget what you've done, you're going to do the same thing. And you might become prideful, boastful. I, I don't even remember I was a sinner. I forgot them all. But of course not. No, we live humbled by the grace of God that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. He paid in full, paid in full, humbled, but not under guilt, not under shame. Those do not apply to us because we believe in Him. Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Our, our salvation from start to, begin, start to finish is all a gift, all a gift from God. It's by His grace, by His goodness, by His love, and by His blood that was shed. And we believe, and it gets applied to us. Our, our debt is wiped clean. You and I are forgiven, not guilty. And that's the good news of the gospel. We are forgiven. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 10, basically the same way all the way through this, this section. I love this. And it says, And by that we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So again, it is by His blood, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. We are sanctified. We are made holy. God doesn't look at us and see all of our sin. He sees the perfect righteousness of His Son, holy and blameless. That's how we come into His sight. And verse 14 takes that and kind of turns it up a notch, if you will. It says something a little bit different. It says, for by a single offering, so again, that's Jesus' life. It says, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, if you're paying attention right there, wait a second. Perfected? That's different than saying I'm forgiven. He says we are perfected, like perfect, like I don't sin anymore, like I don't get sick, like nothing ever goes wrong. How could he possibly say that we are perfected? Do we not ever make any more mistakes? No, that, that's not the way he's talking about perfection here. The way he's talking about perfection is that we are perfectly righteous. In God's sight, he doesn't see us as lacking anything. We have right, the right to come into his presence because he has perfected us according to the sacrifice of his son. Now, I hesitate to make this comparison because it's far greater, but when it comes to God, you can never make any true comparisons. But it's a much greater version of what a, a good father should do, right? Like all of us as parents, we, we know that our kids are not perfect and they mess up and they sin and they do all kinds of crazy things. And yet at the same time, in a very real sense, I can look at you and say, my kids, they're perfect. They're perfect, right? Like they're perfect in that, that they could never do anything to make me love them less, right? Like <laughs> Julia saw me this week, the kids were just driving me crazy, just trying to go through the drive-through. And I had to bang my head against the steering wheel. Like, I love my kids. I love my kids. I love my kids. Right? Even that, this week, I can still say, my kids are perfect. And I won't hear you say otherwise, right? My kids are perfect. Because they're perfectly my children. They're perfectly mine. And there's nothing that could ever take that away. And afar, again, I hesitate because God, I mean, just so much greater. It pales in comparison. But God looks at us in the righteousness, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And he says, my son... My daughter, you're perfect to me. You're just, I, 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 there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. I, I, I paid for all your sins. You're mine. And nobody could ever take you from me. You're, you're perfect. That's what God does when he looks at us. That's something the Old Testament can never do, can never make us perfect. Chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, 
It can never make perfect those who draw near. So the Old Testament could never make you perfect in God's sight. You could never really enter his presence. Some were made sacrifices, and some once, once a year the high priest could go, but, but not, not in the way that we can. He had to make that sacrifice year after year. But by the blood of Jesus, we are perfected. We are made righteous in his sight. We are made holy. And that salvation is from start to finish. Did you hear how that verse ended? I read a second ago, verse 14. It says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Wait, wait, wait. Let's slow that down. He perfected. So he, he has perfected. That's something that's already happened, right? Those who are being sanctified. So which is it? Have we already been perfected? Or are we being made holy right now? Yes. It's both. It's both. I love this. But So by the blood of Jesus, we're saved from start to finish. That means he forgave us all our past. We are perfect in his sight. He sees us as holy. And yet, he doesn't leave us with the same heart condition that caused all those problems in the past. He is changing us. He is transforming us. And he guarantees that he will rid us of sin. That's your third one today. He guarantees he will rid us of sin. The very ones who he declared perfect in his eyes are the same one he declares, I, I will make you righteous. I will make you holy. Your life will be transformed. And I'm in the process of making that happen. Way back two years ago, I preached Psalm 103. One of my favorite illustrations of this comes from Charles Spurgeon. And he says, imagine you committing a, a, a sin, uh, committing murder, and in our country you were sentenced to, to, to the death penalty. And while you were on trial and waiting for that to happen, uh, the, the doctors came to check you out in, in prison and found that you had a cancer that was so rapid that you might not live to the day of your execution. So you could say you were twice dead. You have a, 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 a past, you have an action that is, is going to kill you. You're going to have to die for that. And you have a condition in your body that's going to kill you. So even if the President of the United States pardoned your guilt, it wouldn't save your life unless there, a miracle could be done and the cancer could be taken out. And Jesus does both. He does both. He gets rid of the past. He gets rid of the guilt. He gets rid of the shame and all the things we've done wrong. And he transforms our heart inside of us. He takes care of the past and he rids us of the sin from within. And you know how he did it? By his blood. All of it by his blood. For, a, for by a single offering, one day, the most glorious, whew, man, what a crazy, crazy, crazy weekend. Good Friday by the blood of his sacrifice, by a single offering. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Perfected, happened in the past and has effects today, and being sanctified right now. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who raised Christ's body from the dead, that same power is inside of you. And God said, God's Word tells us that we will be known by our fruits. That is the fruit of the Spirit. When, when our lives look more and more like Christ. That's, how we, that's the evidence of our salvation. It doesn't earn our salvation, but it's the evidence of it. If you have that, if God is transforming you, sanctifying you, making you more holy, it may be painfully slow, but if He's making, more holy, more, making you more holy, what you can look here and say, there's, there's a guarantee that one day all my sin will be taken out of me. Not just the past, but my sinful desire, my sinful hearts. God is at work. I, I can tell you, that of all this, so much this week, this is what's encouraging to me the most because I need this assurance. I battle against sin. I battle for holiness, and I get so frustrated sometimes. Do you get frustrated at your sin? Do you battle sin and say, man, I took four steps forward and five steps back this week? 
I took two steps and three. You, know, you just we just battle and battle and battle. It can be so discouraging. I thought about this yesterday as I battled my leaves. Man, I've got some leaves. I got a lot of leaves. I spent most of yesterday afternoon, and if you want to see an impressive pile of leaves, come to Quail Run this week. Man, so many leaves. But you know what's discouraging? Is that while I'm blowing, the, blow, the leaves are just falling right there, you know? And by the end of this week, I'm guaranteed, because now I've done this three years, like this week, you won't know I did anything yesterday. You won't. And it can be so discouraging. And our battle with sin can feel that way. It can feel like, God, I'm, I'm working, I'm working, I'm working, and I turn around and I feel like I've done nothing. I've done nothing. But this is the assurance we have in Christ. He will rid you of your sin. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You will be made perfect. You will be made holy and righteous in His sight. I do know with my leaves, even though there's still two-thirds of them on the trees or more, you know what's going to happen? Eventually, they'll all fall. And eventually, I will win. It may take me to February, but I will win. Because I know those leaves house mosquitoes and rats and snakes, and my kids run around my yard, so I will win. One day, it may take me a while, but I know that victory is coming. I know victory is coming. And that keeps me able to take one small step in that direction. By the blood of Jesus, we are saved from start to finish. He guarantees it. It will happen. And if you know that, and if you know that your, your salvation is sure, that God is at work, then don't hold on to sin anymore, right? Let, let what Christ has done be in your encouragement to leave sin. He makes us eager to leave our sin. Again, he quotes Jeremiah 31, 31. We saw this last week. I will put, their law in, put my law in their hearts and write them on their minds. He is transforming us. He makes us where we want to obey the law. We don't want to continue in sin. We don't want to keep holding on to it. Yeah, it may be a battle back and forth, but we're going to keep fighting. We're going to keep fighting because he is motivating us. He is pushing us. He is directing us along the way. Because Christ died for it, we can die to it. Because he died for it, for it, we can die to it. We're not going to continue living in sin now that we know what Christ has done for us. He's paid for it. I don't want to keep following it. We don't want to continue in that sin because we know there's a coming victory that's motivating us to be like Christ. And in the end, I mean, talk about start to finish, right? Of our salvation. So the beginning, he lets us know about our sin. The very end, Romans 9, 28. So Christ, Romans <laughs> Hebrews 9.28, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear. So again, connected to this offering. It's so beautiful. Connected to the offering. He will appear a second time. That time he doesn't have to deal with sin. He's already done with that. But to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He's coming back. He's coming back and he will make all things right. He'll make all sad things untrue. He's going to make this world perfect. Because his salvation was accomplished on the cross. And from start to end, it is sure. It is guaranteed. By the blood of Jesus, we are saved from start to finish. I don't know which of those is most challenging to you or most encouraging you today, but I pray that you will allow God to speak those things into your heart, to rejoice over His, his salvation, to celebrate Him, to, to worship Him, applaud Him, and say, what, is it, what does it look like for me to live in line with this? That He shows us the severity of our sin, that He forgives us for all our sin. He guarantees He will rid us of sin. And He makes us eager to leave our sin. I pray that you respond to Him today. Maybe you can go to the altar. You can come pray with me. 
but I pray that you respond to him today in faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the sacrifice that you made possible through your son, Jesus. God, we look to our sin and what it did to your heart and the way that must have grieved you and the way our sin continues to grieve you. And yet, God, you see us in the righteousness of your son for all who believe in you. God, I pray that you would strengthen our faith even today. God, that we would walk with you knowing that you have accomplished our salvation from start to finish and that you've made it possible for us to know you and to walk with you. Lord, we, um, gosh, it can be so frustrating, so frustrating to continue to battle against sin and feel like we're not getting anywhere. But we trust that you're in control and that you're at work. And so we rely on you today. In Jesus' name I pray.